everyone. Welcome to the Connected Families podcast. We are excited to bring you episode three in our four-part anxiety series. Today, Jim and Lynn Jackson, together with Chad Hange, want to dig deeper on what some of the anxiety triggers might be in our homes. Let's listen in as they talk about separation anxiety, homework, school, mealtimes, and more. Hey, everybody. Lynn, Chad, and Jim with you. We're going to talk today about the common anxiety-producing issues we hear about most often relative to what goes on in our homes. Yeah, there are Mm -hmm. a few to choose from. (laughs) There's a few to choose from. And it seems like over the years, we've each been doing this for a long time. And the things that we talk with parents about that are anxiety-producing in their homes have been pretty common and consistent. Now, there's a whole set of things on the outside that are are unique to our time and our, our culture. But in our homes... The issues are anxiety about meal times, homework, mm-hmm. and then all the things where kids have to separate from parents. Often bedtime, sometimes dropping kids off at yep. a place that's not such an issue right now, but certainly bedtime is. Yep. And then just that issue of parent conflict. Oh, wait a minute. Where yeah, the parents one, see things differently about. about how to parent, and then the child kind of gets caught in the middle, and that can really accelerate everyone's anxiety. Yeah, we actually hear about that as much as anything. Right, but I don't think we've actually talked about it a lot. I think we've written a little bit about it, yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm excited to get to that as well. Siblings? What about sibling relationships? That produces anxiety too. So we've got a whole menu of things. We're going to get to as many as we can in the time that we've got, and of course we have as much time as we want, but we know the listening ear doesn't always have as much attention as we have long wind. <laughs> yes. well, so, so let's dive in with can. our wind. Yeah, let's dive in. And Lynn, this has been a hot button of yours for a long time, the anxiety around meals. Mm-hmm. So I want you to kind of give a, an overview of this issue because you see it so differently and so constructively helpful for parents when we're able to shift our paradigm about anxiety relative to meals. If we serve it, they should eat it and then we'll give them dessert is kind of a common thing and we'll get our kids to do it. But you understood that that's not always anxiety reducing, that's anxiety producing. Right. And it starts with parents' good intention, even, you know, kind of a gift gone awry. It's like we are called to nourish our children. I mean, imagine if we didn't have that sense of calling Mm -hmm. and purpose, it would be terrible. Mm. But then if a child is more sensitive or a little more anxious and food isn't always such a comfortable thing and they start to avoid certain foods, then that anxiety, I have to, it's my job to get my child to eat healthy food. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we, you know, a bigger, stronger, dominate response might be, it's my child's job to obey and eat what I tell you to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boy, we've seen some real intensive power struggles over this issue of whose job it is (laughs) to decide what the child will eat. And we don't want to minimize the momentums that happen that lead to eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And there's some very real biological factors involved in that. But there's also a, a relational energy that often drives kids' rejection, obsessions around food because mm-hmm. of the anxiety at mealtime. Well, right. And the research shows that the more controlling parents are, the more likely their child is to have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. You know, in the younger set, you know, for kids that aren't into the teenage years yet, where it gets so much more complicated, a child should have 10 proteins, 10 carbohydrates, and 10 fruits or vegetables. And if they're lacking that basic number, then they are beyond picky eater into problem eater, and you may want to get some professional help. Mm. But but you could start by trying some of these ideas and seeing how it goes. But it's really important to start by 
getting in touch with what are your rules about food that you learned in your family growing up and how can you begin to change that so that mealtime isn't fraught with anxiety. Because again, what do we not do when we're in fight or flight or being attacked in that dark alley? You don't stop for a snack. So when we're anxious, it makes it even harder for us to eat. And that's particularly true for children. Yeah, I remember a bunch of rules. There's starving people on the other side of the world. So Mm -hmm. you clean your plate no matter what and sit here till you're done. And there's no play for you until you've finished your meal. Right. Even if I didn't pick the food. Yeah. Even if I didn't decide how much I could or should eat. Yeah, there's kind of a... Clean plate club. A clean yep. plate club. Right. Yeah. You did they do that in Iowa too? Yeah. Yeah. They did. They, they did. My my parents actually tricked me into eating uh, liver. They called it cowboy steak. Well, there you go. So you wanted to be cool. I was a picky eater too, and I was eating cowboy steak left and right. Well, well and you turned out okay. I so you can okay. skip this session. Just just lie to your kids, right? Is that the moral oh, of the story? Well, that's that's not the best idea. But but standing over your child saying they can't get down from their seat until they eat something is probably easy even more yeah. detrimental. Well, and, but kids will do it in order to get down. But what's the long-term impact of that right, for a right. lot of people? Then they learn, when I really want to control something, I can set off a power struggle about food. You know, Lynn, as you started, I noticed something that I haven't noticed when you talk about this topic that, that spurred a thought, and I just want to share it. And this is unexpected to you. The passion that you started out with around meal time and the opportunity this is to help our kids be stewards of the bodies God mm-hmm. gave them helps me to have a frame for mealtime. I'm imagining being a young parent that mealtime isn't about quick, get it done, get some food in them so we can go on to the next thing. Mealtime is a place and a time for powerful, potent ministry in the life of our home. Absolutely. And that's why one of the reasons I get so passionate about it, because I feel like God has given mealtimes to families as a gift to build connection and values. And therefore, it's under attack by our spiritual enemy who wants to make mealtimes hectic, on the go, disconnected, full of power struggles. And so it's time to really reclaim God's purposes for mealtimes and partner with our kids as they learn to decrease their anxiety about food, learn about it, explore it, even for younger kids to play with it and have fun (laughs) with it. I know that sounds outrageous, and maybe you do it at snack time instead of when grandma is over for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But it can be a great way, like we talked about play, decreasing anxiety, playing with the food Mm -hmm. a little bit can be a great way to decrease anxiety if everybody's having fun with it. And again, try it with snacks if you're not comfortable with that at meals, but Mm -hmm. to make mealtimes a time of connection. And I love Ellen Satter, who is really a pioneer in this work. And she's got sort of a a division of labor for parents and kids. And this is what it says, and we'll include a link. Parents take leadership with the what, when, and where of feeding, and let your child determine how much and whether to eat what you provide. So there's so much that parents can do in terms of creating an environment where food is fun, it's exciting. We had some friends who would say the dad would arm wrestle the kids after dinner because they talked about broccoli and how it makes you healthy and strong (laughs) (laughs) during the meal. You know, they talk about it's green, it looks like trees, it's, Hmm. you know, whatever. You know, having fun with learning about broccoli. And then the child who 
ate their broccoli during the meal was the one that magically was able to arm wrestle dad to the floor (laughs) after the meal. So fun ways about learning about food Mm -hmm. and celebrating it and the beneficial impact it has on our bodies. So say a little bit, because I know you deal with this sometimes. There are kids who they take a bite of broccoli and there's no game, there's no fun, there's no nothing that's going to get a kid to eat broccoli right away. Mm -hmm. And we try to force that, but maybe there's a different way. What do we do with those youngsters? How do we understand it when, in spite of all our best efforts, they still don't eat the broccoli? Well, there's many steps to a child actually being able to eat and ingest, swallow a piece of food. And the first is just like tolerating on their plate. And so there's lots of baby steps, including touching it, picking it up, smelling it, maybe licking it, putting it in their mouth for a little bit. And if they decide they don't want it in their mouth, instead of swallowing it, which is really an anxiety producing thing for children saying, you can quietly put it in your napkin, see how secret you can be while you sneak it into your napkin. That encourages a child to try things knowing they're not going to have to chew and swallow it if they have this aversive, I'm going to gag, maybe throw up on your table kind of reaction. So I know for some parents, and honestly, even for me as a young dad, when we were struggling with some issues around the table, sometimes that sort of approach at first felt like enabling. Mm -hmm. I mean, our kids have grown up to eat incredibly, wonderfully healthy diets But back then it was like, Lynn, do we have to play these games to get our kids to eat food? Well, if you're really stuck in power struggles with your child and you feel like that's getting worse, it's up to you if you want to change tracks. But you might want to consider it because the implications of saying stuck in it's your job to obey and eat what I tell you are pretty significant. Mm -hmm. So it is a very different way of thinking. Yeah, and one of our best strategies actually became involving our kids in the shopping for groceries Mm -hmm, and helping to pick the meals according to the categories. And Lynn affectionately got a term from our kids when they were in middle school or maybe a little (laughs) earlier, mom is a health butt. (laughs) How come we don't have ice cream for dessert every night? And and, and, uh, there was a little bit of tongue in their cheeks, and sometimes not always, and then they'd go off to a grandparent's house and get cinnamon toast crunch, and we would roll our, how come we can't have that at home but you stuck to this approach Mm -hmm. of empowering of involving of engaging and our kids grew up even though at the time it was hard for them to have incredibly healthy eating habits right it's about elevating the good food that god gave us to bless the really awesome bodies that he gave us and you know sharing our own journey of oh when i was little i ate really crummy food sometimes i ate lots and lots of sugar but i have learned how to eat the things that make me Hmm. strong Hmm. and healthy and you're learning that too so it's a very much a growth mindset about our kids accepting where they're at encouraging them, providing lots of opportunities to sample different foods and decide what they want to eat from those things. I have to add one more quick rule before we move on, and that is to have a safe food at the dinner that you know your child will eat so that they don't panic when they see, I can't take a bite of anything on here because I'm terrified of all of it. So that's a lot of validating and regulating and empowering kids about food. Here at Connected Families, our mission is to equip parents to lead their family with grace. 
With that in mind, we have a number of free resources on our website. There's a free ebook called Help Your Child With Their Anger. There is also a number of free encouraging image downloads and even a list of 60 fun activities to do with your kids. If you are interested in free resources to help you with your parenting, check out our website at connectedfamilies.org. Click on the resources tab and then click on free. Let's shift gears now. Totally different topic. Or is it? I guess it is. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Well, I I think when it comes to the notion of validating and regulating and empowering our kids, it applies to everything we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk now about homework. And we've done a, a fair bit of work with parents who come to us saying, I can't get my kid to do their homework. Absolutely. And, and that's an anxiety-producing statement in and of itself, isn't it, Chad? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I noticed about when Lynn was talking about food and, and uh, we're talking about homework, the framing of it from the parent perspective is oftentimes I need to get or I can't get mm-hmm. my child to do this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. I always need to have that as a little bit of a yellow flag for yeah, me. Right. Going, if I'm trying to get my child to do something, it will be, I'm just setting up a power struggle. <laughs> right. Right. It put yourself now, listeners, in the child's view, and I'm the parent, and I say, I'm trying to get you to do something, or even more so, put yourself in the adult role, and your boss comes to you and says, Look, how long do I have to work before I get you to do this thing that I want you to do? Yeah. That's anxiety producing for us. Why wouldn't it then be anxiety producing for our kids if we're trying to get them to do something? Yep, get them to do homework, get them to hand things in on time. So what's a different frame that you found to be more helpful? Yeah, I think first we're trying to figure out what we have control over and what we don't have control over. You know, one of the things that I want to start with is recognizing that what my job is versus what my child's job is. Hmm. And what do I have control over? Do I have control over me? Okay, am I setting up a, an environment where my child will flourish in what they have control over, their responsibilities, versus versus what I want them to do? So there's kind of this uh, undertone, I think, for me with kids, and as I see lots of times with parents, just the, the idea of failure is unacceptable. Like, hmm. It's not okay to fail. If I get a call or an email from the teacher that says that you are failing or not handing in your assignments, then... And I think this is kind of true that it kind of is implied from the teacher that it's parent, it's your job to make sure they get it done. There's a lot of pressure that I feel exerted. I hear parents say all the time, it's like, well, you're telling me this new way with my kids, but the teachers are putting the pressure on me. Yeah, right. It's like, well, okay, they are. What do you want to do about that? Yeah, and one of the things that... your child knows this is their issue, not yours. Right, and one of the ways that uh, that we did that personally, even with elementary age kids, I would get a call or some expectation wasn't being met at school, I would get a call and my response would be, oh, hold on a second, I'm so glad that you called me, but my daughter is right here as well. Let me put her on the phone or I'll put you on speakerphone so you can talk to both of us. The, the <laughs> message that I'm after here is that you're calling me, thank you, but you don't have a problem with me. You have an issue over here, and I want to be a concerned parent who hears it 
but I... But not a controlling parent not who a fixes it. Right, exactly. <laughs> or tries to fix it. Exactly. So instead of getting your kid to do what the teacher says they should do, you've taken the posture of, I want to help my child hear what the teacher expects of her. Yeah, hear it and then work really in some ways trying to help mediate a, a little bit. Of, mm-hmm. So it sounds like the teacher wants this and, and what's your goal or what are you hearing, child? And then working to try to help set up a plan for me to help the child be as successful as possible without it being me making the plan happen or work. Yeah, very powerful. And I think we've seen parents find a new way. And Lynn, I'm remembering a story from some time ago where you were working with a mom on homework. Or maybe it was you, Chad, I don't even remember. But there was a parent who was you know, trying to get her kid to do the homework. And the coaching was basically about helping this parent become her child's coach rather than the motivator. Right. And that mom figured out a new way to help her child, to empower her child by asking questions. And it turns out the child, as soon as mom was less responsible to get the kid to do the homework, that the child realized, hey, this is my job Mm -hmm. and started to do the homework. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I oftentimes see happen, especially with older kids, is that the, the parents say, hey, I think I've been caring more about this than you have. Yeah, that might be language that they yeah. would use. And, and uh, I'm recognizing that that's not very, been very helpful for you. And uh, so I'm going to pull back and trust that if you need something from me, you'll let me know. Or I want to help you. I want to be your cheerleader. But it's just not ultimately my responsibility. Hmm. And when that happens, especially with teens, it's like there's this swoon Okay, you're expecting it to go, hey, I've empowered my kids and now we're, we're moving upward and onward towards greater success at turning things in or getting better grades or whatever the case may be. But it turns and it goes downward and the parent starts to go, oh, my goodness, I need to okay, at least the natural impulse is to jump back in and go, I got to take this right? Oh my goodness. I I thought you were going to take care of this. And I thought that the parent coach said that if I just did this, then they're going to be more responsible, right? And and I think in a lot of ways, it's a test of sorts of like, can I really trust that you're going to treat me as I'm responsible and I, I am capable of doing this? And then what I've seen over time is that when the parents really stay in the mode of, I'm going to control what I what I can control, that the child then starts to assume responsibility yep. and maybe hits a new trajectory. So what I think you're saying is to prepare, it might not always happen this way, but to prepare for things to get maybe a little worse before they get better as you, yes. the parent, let go of this responsibility to get your kids to do the thing. Right on. Okay. So there's another uh, avenue I want to explore about anxiety and homework and schoolwork and all this. And that's the anxiety, the very real anxiety that I've heard from quite a few parents that their kids have about these tests, the standardized state, whatever they're called, tests. And they're different in every state, but we're teaching to the test. And parents detest this, but it's a reality. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And their kids have started to embrace. And we hear parents say even sometimes, I take the pressure off, but my kids feel so anxious about this. They don't eat. They don't sleep. It's terrible. And I don't know how to help them. Mm -hmm. So this is a little different deal. And how do we come alongside kids who are, you know, we've done our best to empower and let go. and But now the kids are not. They're still feeling this heavy burdening anxiety about the test. So what does validating, regulating, and empowering that student look like Mm -hmm. when they're anxious? 
Well, I think it starts with the validation, but then helping to regulate them with the truth. So it could be, boy, it feels like there's a lot of pressure on you, doesn't it? And there's so much competition these days. That's got to be hard. But then building the belief that supports a healthier response. So if kids truly are that anxious about it, there's a belief under the surface of that that's causing that anxiety, like Chad was talking about. And so that's the level at which parents can work, is that belief. Hmm. So the belief that if I don't get, you know, a a 90% or above on this test, there's something wrong with me, is the unhelpful, hurtful, Mm -hmm. not so true belief that is driving that anxiety. So I just appreciated how you guided us in our kids' early years to separate anxiety from performance in lots of different ways throughout the day, throughout life of, wow, great job on this test. You must have studied really hard. Does that make you more valuable? Does that make me love you more? Mm -hmm. And then when it didn't go so well on a Mm -hmm. test, oops, that one probably wasn't what you were hoping for. I bet you learned something about preparation, but I want you to know this doesn't make me love you any less at all. It doesn't change God's purposes for you. It doesn't change how valuable (laughs) you are. And having a lighthearted tone about that outside of the test time can be so helpful. Then when they go off to the test, it's like you wink, you point at them, and you go, hey, is this going to define your value today? Well, true confession time, as one who struggled myself with grades and performance and all these things, I was actually really happy to be off the hook for feeling like my kids were, you know, some reflection of my achievement as a parent. So much so that when our kids started to navigate the high school testing years, we didn't even know about what was coming up. And hmm. our oldest took the first big, huge standardized test that meant a lot. And we didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> and and he, you know, he did actually quite well on it. And we were surprised, but he didn't do any of the tests ahead. He went in, he just took it. He was lighthearted about it. He was almost flip about it. That taught us like, gosh, if our kids feel lighthearted and flip about this mm-hmm. and like it's their deal, not our deal, right. then they're empowered to do their best. So mm-hmm. we literally never said a word to our kids about any of the, do you want to do something to get ready for this test? Do you think that you've done what you need? Do you think you should do it again? We better go to a class. We better spend money to make sure you know how to take this big test so that you do as well and get into the best college is like you know what lord this is your child it's your process we're going to let them take responsibility for themselves and go through this on their own you know they didn't get ivy league scholarships but they turned out yep (laughs) they did get good scholarships and they they got pretty good scholarships yeah Hmm. i think that's super helpful and you know the whole study and grade and do all this homework for the purpose of the test is a pressure that you know even the teachers feel like if the teachers don't achieve then that's bad and so they yeah, put pressure a, on the kids kind of reflection to do on the teacher reflection on the teacher but you know by the grace of god we are set free from that and we can work to set our kids free from that and that's really our task here isn't it to help reduce anxiety in our kids is to anchor identity apart from these academic outcomes mm-hmm. absolutely so there's a little bit about anxiety for homework and anxiety about the tests. This is maybe an issue, the next one, relative to younger kids, separation anxiety, sometimes bedtime. Kind of the bigger anxiety is I feel really anxious when mommy or daddy or somebody safe isn't really close to me all the time. Yeah. I had a coaching client who just 
did the greatest example of this really quickly. You know, sometimes we get a little wordy in how we talk with kids. This dad was just succinct and he was dropping his kiddo off at kindergarten. And this was a really difficult transition for this sensitive little guy. And he had previously, it's like, just get in there. This is not okay. You'll be fine. He was doing the dominate, Mm -hmm. dismiss kind of a thing. And this one time he just thought, I think my child just needs a little help. He said to him, you seem pretty worried right now. Would it help if we just sat here for a minute before you went in? I mean, think about that really quickly. He validated he was going to co-regulate with this little guy by just sitting there for a minute calmly Mm. together. And he empowered him to to speak up and ask for what he needed. So they just sat there for a minute, just kind of, I don't know if they Mm. held hands or he gave him a hug or whatever. And then he looked at him, he said, are you ready? He goes, yep. And he walked into the classroom. Mm. So it was just that quick and simple. It's like, why you look worried? Would it help if I just sat here for a minute? Yeah. And that was all the little guy needed. But it became a defining moment for that dad to just figure out how to come alongside when his child was struggling with those big emotions. Yep. Well, and that reminds me, uh, it wasn't separation anxiety exactly, although maybe it kind of was when I was working with this young man that I've referenced earlier. And the way that we prepared to separate was to tell the story ahead of time and predict an outcome. And Mm -hmm. is that the outcome you're looking for? And you can do this work with kids as young as four. Hey, honey, I know it's hard for you to go into the daycare. Let's talk about how that's going to go today. Do you think it will be harder or easier than it was yesterday? And you can, Lynn can play the four-year-old and say, I don't know. Maybe it'll be easier. I don't know. Oh, well, if it's easier, what will you do so that it's easier? Um, Remember what we talked about? Well, yeah, I can... We can kind of march in together and stomp our feet on the way, and you can hold my hand while we go. I love that idea. If it goes worse, what would happen? That I'd just stay in the car and cry. Oh, and which of those do you want to do? March in with me and, and, and have a little celebration, or do you want to stay in the car and cry for a little bit before we do that? Uh, I think I want to march in. Okay, let's do that and try it and see how it goes today. I think you can march in. You've done that kind of thing in different places before. There's the little four-year-old kind of role-play example of what that might look like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the separation anxiety shows up at bedtime. Yeah, I was just going to ask about yeah, bedtime. Yeah, right. Mm. Parents can so easily start to get anxious as soon as dinner <laughs> is over and they're thinking about <laughs> bedtime and then that anxiety spills over and they feel bad leaving their child. And there's almost this this message of, you should be upset. I'm doing this terrible thing by leaving you, whether it's at daycare or at bedtime or whatever. You know, and they feel a pressure to fix their child's yeah. anxiety. So... You know, a helpful belief is to just recognize that anxiety is a natural part of childhood, especially for sensitive kids. But we can empower them and help them learn that they are safe, loved, and capable. And we have a great story about a mom of a three-year-old who was really struggling with separation anxiety at bedtime. And just how that mom, when the mom took the power struggle out of it, entered into just making sure her child felt safe, loved Mm. and capable that the problem just naturally resolved and their bedtimes returned to wonderful connective events. Wow, this is all super helpful. 
I'm hoping that listeners are getting some new inspiration for how to guide their kids through their anxiety, especially about these issues of mealtime and homework and separation anxiety, even at bedtime. I hope you're seeing a theme in the navigating of these common issues, maybe the most common issues that we face, about how to help your kids with anxiety of all kinds. And so if you want to know more, please reach out to us. If you feel like you're at that stuck place that we talked about, please reach out to us and we'll do what we can to guide you into the next steps, maybe point you toward more resources, maybe pray with you. Please reach out and be in touch with us. Next time, we're going to talk about anxiety triggers outside of our home, which is a much more complicated, unpredictable sort of a thing. We never know what's going to come at us next by way of current events, but we're going to do the best we can to equip you parents to guide your kids well toward the peace that surpasses understanding in Christ. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Connected Families Podcast. We hope you got tips that you can use in your parenting today. Please subscribe and leave us a positive review so other families can find us and learn how to parent with peace and connection.